It is great to be here. You guys excited this morning? You guys ready? You know it's going to be a good morning when we have our Christmas lights on, right? I was so distraught when I walked in this morning and saw those on because I had such a funny joke about those very lights being off this morning. It ruined it. Ah. Julie Barrett, you would have cackled. You would have cackled at it. It was so funny. Welcome to Crossroads. If you're new here, my name is Ryan. I am not the pastor of this church. If you've been here a couple of times, you might be wondering at this point, who is the pastor of this church? <laughs> Come back a couple more times and you'll eventually get to know him. We, uh, it's one of the things I love about this church is uh, we have a pastor and a leadership at this church that empowers others to participate in the mission of God that he has for this church and allows some of us others to preach here, and I get to preach once in a while. Love it. Uh, If you're wondering what this church is all about, uh, we're all about this man named Jesus. That's what we're all about here at Crossroads, is a man named Jesus that we believe uh, was a real man who really lived 2,000 years ago, and that he was really fully God and fully man. And we really believe that this man died on a cross, and that he rose again three days later, and that today he's still alive, that today he sits at the right hand of God in heaven, and we believe that he's actually coming back, that very soon he's going to come back and reestablish his kingdom ultimately here on earth, and everything that we do here is centered around that reality, and we're all about equipping people and sending people out from here to participate in that mission of God of redemption on earth. And so this is Crossroads. Welcome. We are, uh, if you're here and you're looking for a well-produced show, you'll probably be a little bit disappointed. But if you're here to seek this man Jesus, I hope that's what you get this morning. I hope that you get to encounter this man Jesus. We believe in the word of God. We believe that this book here is true and divine authority. We believe everything that's written in this book, and uh, we preach from this book. And so that's what I'm going to do here for a little while, is preach from this book. Let me pray for us as we get started. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for rain that waters the earth this morning. We know that all creation testifies about your glory. So even this rain this morning, even this weather that we see is dreary. God, we know it testifies about your glory. We thank you for that. We thank you for breath in our lungs this morning. Thank you, God, for the freedom to gather here this morning without fear of persecution, that we can freely gather to worship you, to hear from your word. Pray, God, this morning for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus that this day we would know you better and that we would be equipped to go out and serve you better. Pray that you would meet us where we are this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we are, if you've been with us for a little while or if you haven't, we're, uh, we're preaching from the book of Luke for the past, I don't know how long has it been, a couple of years now that we've been preaching through Luke. Luke is a a book in the Bible 
It's in what we call the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible's broken up into these two parts, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And uh, the birth of Jesus is kind of that, that mark that begins the New Testament. And then there's these four books within the Bible and the New Testament called Gospels. They're all, the Gospels are, they tell us about the life and work of Jesus here on earth 2,000 years ago. And Luke is one of those four books. It's about, I don't know, that far in your Bible, a ways to the end. And just to give you a review, we've been going through this book, and if you've been following along, you'll, you'll see that the first 20 or so chapters of Luke's gospel, it's kind of a 10,000-foot view of Jesus' life. It's a flyover of the first 33 years of Jesus' life, and then it stops at specific points and kind of has these touch points in Jesus' lives and then keeps going. And then in, verse, in chapter 22 of, of Luke, which is where we are today, things slow down pretty dramatically. And the last three chapters cover three days, essentially, of Jesus' life. Gives us a real close-up view of what we call the passion or the, 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 the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the, the, the part of Luke that we're in right now. And uh, if you're in tune with where we're headed, we're going to land on Resurrection Sunday in just a couple of weeks. And so that's where we are in the story right now. It's uh, interesting, chapter 21, which Rod preached on several weeks ago, is, is, uh, marks kind of a transition into this uh, passion portion of Luke's gospel, where Jesus, in chapter 21, starts preparing his disciples for his death uh, and his departure and the things that are going to happen soon after that. Rod did a phenomenal sermon on that just a few weeks ago. You can get that online. Now we're in Luke chapter 22, and I want to look at a couple of pieces here. Uh, we're going to look at these, uh, a couple of different characters that are at play in Luke's gospel in chapter 22 here. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 22, verse 47, and... Uh, we like to do this thing called, um, that I call Crossroads Calisthenics, where I make you stand right after you sat down, because we like to stand for the reading of God's Word. And you know why we do that? It's because we preach for so long here at Crossroads. The sermons are so long, we don't want your legs to go numb. That's why we make you stand. That's a joke. That's just a little joke. We do it out of respect for the Word of God, because we believe that this is actually the words of God, and we want to stand in respect of God's Word. So I want to start in Luke chapter 22, verse 47. We're going to read through verse 62. It says this, While he was still speaking, Jesus that is, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. 
Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come from him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the court, and they had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw, saw him seated there at the fire. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, if you were here last week, you'll realize there's some overlap from the text that Dan Mike preached last week. Uh, I want to, I'm doing that intentionally because I want to highlight there are a couple of different characters that are at play here. If you're paying attention to the story, you'll see that in this portion of the story, there's really three main characters that are at play here. There's the, the hero of the story, Jesus, obviously. But if you're, if you're watching, there's two other characters that are pretty important in this part of the story. Uh, one of them is this man, Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. And the other is another one of Jesus' disciples, this man that is named Peter. And I want to spend some time this morning looking at these two guys. And my intention is not that we would know more about Peter and Judas. Let's make that clear. I want to know more about Jesus. And I think we can learn a little bit about Jesus by the, by the ways that Judas and Peter interact in this story. So let's start with this man, Judas. What do we know about Judas? Well, Dan Mike highlighted some of this last week. And uh, what do we know about Judas? Well, scholars will tell us and believe that Judas was what we call a zealot. There's some evidence in the text that would lead us to believe. The text does not clearly say that anywhere, but there's some reason to believe that he was a zealot. Now, what's a zealot? A zealot, as many of you know, is this sect of Jews, this, this radical sect of Jews who are, are, are passionate and zealful about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, and they're fed up with Romans' iron fist ruling over Israel. And specifically, the zealots are those that want to take back their nation by force. So they're looking for a Messiah, a savior, a rescuer, who's going to come and overthrow Rome by force. It's said that these guys would carry a a knife or a sword with them at all times, ready to strike Roman soldiers whenever they can. And they're looking for a savior, a Messiah, who's going to come and overthrow Rome 
and restore the kingdom of Israel. So we believe that Judas is a zealot. What else do we know about Judas? Well, he's one of Jesus' disciples. He's been walking with Jesus for three and a half years now. We also know from the text, just a little while before this, that Judas gets pretty fed up with Jesus. And he decides that he's going to turn on Jesus. And that he's actually going to betray Jesus into the hands of the religious rulers so that Jesus can be arrested. Now, why does he want to do this? I like to ask, when I'm reading in the Bible, I like to ask questions of why. Why is this thing happening? I think sometimes we get so familiar with the story that we don't take time to ask why. Why are these things happening? And, and uh, so I like to ask why. Why was Judas so fed up? Why did he want Jesus killed? And uh, the, the text doesn't tell us specifically. There's some indication that he's greedy, uh, that he's been taken from the money, uh, the coffers of the disciples, But it doesn't tell us specifically why Judas is fed up. It just tells us that he decides to betray Jesus. And there's a spiritual reason. It says in the text that Satan enters Jesus and incites him to betray. So there's this spiritual reason. But on Judas's end, what's going on? Well, I think there's a couple of options that we can consider. Uh, Maybe one of them is that Judas has been expecting Jesus to overthrow Rome by force. And yet Jesus just spends time with widows washing his feet and among the poor. And when he has this big moment when the crowds are ushering him in on a donkey, crying Hosanna in in reference to the the prophets uh, testifying about what the Messiah was going to do. And he's expecting Jesus to come and overthrow Rome. And instead he goes into the temple and overthrows the tables of the merchants and maybe Judas is looking at all this and he's just getting really frustrated with Jesus saying this is not the guy that I thought he was and maybe he's getting so fed up that he wants to actually kill Jesus maybe that's what's going on maybe uh, as Dan referenced last week and I think this is a compelling argument maybe Judas's intentions here are actually to elicit a riot that would usher in the Messiah. Because if you're following the story, there's huge crowds that are following Jesus at this time. Jesus, as Rod so eloquently puts it, is a rock star at this point. And so, maybe Judas is thinking, man, if I can get the religious rulers to arrest this guy, the crowds will rise up, elicit a riot that will usher in this messianic reign. Maybe that's what Judas is thinking. I don't know. I don't know exactly what Judas is thinking. But I think what is clear from the text is that Judas has an agenda for Jesus that Jesus does not meet. That Judas has an expectation of Jesus that he does not meet, and then Judas gets offended by it. And I think that before we throw Judas under the bus— which I don't have any problem throwing Judas under the bus. The text does not paint a a great picture of Judas. I think before we do that, we at least have to ask the question, is there any Judas in us? Do we have any of Judas in us? And here's what I mean by that. Perhaps we would not deny Jesus to the degree that Judas did, but I wonder, do we have an agenda for Jesus in our lives? 
Do we have an expectation of what Jesus is going to do in our lives? Do we have an expectation for the success that he's going to bring in our lives? Do we have an expectation for the comfort that he's going to bring into our lives? Do we have an expectation for the political revival that Jesus is going to do in this nation? And I, you know, I think about how this might play out in some specific areas of our lives, perhaps in our prayers, the way we pray. And I know that I find myself, and I've been in other prayer meetings, where we're just, we have this agenda for Jesus, and we're crying out fervently and passionately and travailing in prayer as if to convince Jesus of our agenda. That we've got this thing that if we just cry out loud enough, and if we get enough people in on this, and if we fast enough, Jesus will certainly hear our prayers and be convinced of our agenda. Or or maybe the way we conduct our lives. Maybe we conduct our lives in such a way that would tell us that uh, we have an agenda for Jesus in our lives. We have an agenda for the way Jesus is going to grow my business we have an agenda for the way Jesus is going to protect my family. We get an, I have an agenda for the way Jesus uh, is going to provide for me. Or maybe, maybe it's in this crazy current political atmosphere that we're in, which is just nuts right now, crazy nuts. Maybe we have an, do we have an agenda for Jesus and our politicians right now? And what happens when Jesus doesn't meet our agenda? How do we respond when Jesus does not meet our agenda? Are we like Judas when Jesus does not meet my agenda, do I get offended at him and upset with him? And I wonder how many people have had this agenda for Jesus that he has not met and at some point have walked away and said, if this is what this man Jesus is all about, then I'm out of here. I can't, this, this is not what I signed up for. I'm, I'm reminded of Je- Jesus' words to John the Baptist. If you know this story, John the Baptist, Jesus himself says, there was no greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. And yet at John the Baptist's at the end of his life, he finds himself in jail about to be beheaded. And just before he's killed, he sends his own disciples to Jesus to say, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been expecting? And I don't have time to unpack this whole story, but when you begin to unpack it and see the nuance in that story, what John is essentially asking Jesus is, Jesus, I've fulfilled everything that you've given me. Am I going to get out of jail? And again, when you unpack the nuance of that story, Jesus' response to John the Baptist is essentially, John, you have done well, finish well, you're going to die in prison, don't be offended at me. This isn't going to end the way you want it to. This isn't going to end well on this earth for you, but, Jude, but John, don't be offended at me. Why? Because I've got a plan that's greater than what you know right now. See, Judas had, had a plan for Jesus. Sometimes we have a plan for Jesus. But do we realize that Jesus has a plan for us? And more importantly, do we trust that plan? 
Do we trust Jesus' plan for our lives? And do we trust that it is a good plan? That it is a plan that may not work out for my comfort, it may not work out for my safety, it may not work out even for the well-being of my family, but it is a good plan. The prophet Isaiah says that Jesus' ways are greater than my ways, and his thoughts are greater than my thoughts. And maybe you're in this place tonight where it feels like what Jesus says to the religious rulers, this is the hour when darkness reigns. And maybe you're in that place right now, and it feels like darkness is reigning in your life. Or maybe you're looking out at, this, at what's going on right now in the political realm and globally, and, and it's looking like darkness is reigning, and you're, you're given to this fear and disappointment just want to say you can trust Jesus. You can trust him. If there's one thing you can know is that you can trust him, that he has a plan for your life, and it is a good plan, and it might not be what you have been told it will be like, but it is a good plan, and you can trust him. You can trust him. And I don't know even what I'm speaking to in a group this size. I don't know the disappointment that's here. I don't know the frustration that's here. I know that I've had my own frustrations with Jesus over the years, but what I've seen is that he always remains true to his word. And that when my agenda doesn't meet up with Jesus, then what I've got to do is lay my agenda down and recognize that Jesus has a plan. And I don't know what it is, but I know that it's a good plan. And in the end it will work out. This is Judas. I think the error that Judas makes is that he has an agenda that he wants Jesus to fulfill. Now, if we look at Peter, Peter errs in a different way, I believe. See, I don't think Peter has an agenda for Jesus. I think he misunderstands Jesus' agenda, but I think he's actually committed to the agenda that he believes Jesus has. I think the way that Peter errs is that he thinks, well, well, while Judas has an agenda for Jesus, I think that Peter errs in that he thinks that Jesus needs him to accomplish Jesus' mission. You see what I'm saying, saying here? That Peter thinks that Jesus needs him to accomplish his plan. Let's see what happens here with Peter. In the story that we read, we find Peter uh, in the courtyard of the high priest about to deny Jesus three times. Now, it's helpful for me when I think about these stories, because these are in unfamiliar settings and unfamiliar cultures to what I'm used to. So it's, it's helpful for me to start thinking about what, just the setting. What's going on here? What do we know about this story? Well, there's a couple of things that we know that just help me kind of piece things together and make sense out of all this. Just practically, we know a couple of things. We know that uh, Peter and Jesus were just in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke's Gospel, they say the Mount of Olives. In other Gospels, we know he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he's led over to the high priest's house. Now, if any of you have been to Israel, uh, you've probably taken this journey. It's about a 15-minute walk, 10, 15-minute walk. Short journey. You just go across the city and 
uh, you find yourself where this story is probably taking place. We also know it's at night. It's dark out. Other gospels will tell us it's dark out, but it's after dinner, so even Luke's gospel hints at the fact that it's nighttime. It's Passover. They've just celebrated the Passover feast, which if you know how they celebrated that, it's reasonable to believe that Jesus' disciples and these crowds have probably had too much to drink at this point. They may be drunk at this point. That's reasonable to believe uh, based on how they celebrated Passover. Uh, And we know that here comes Judas leading this armed guard. We know again from other gospels that it's a large crowd, that there's Roman soldiers present, and that they're angry and armed. So this is the setting that we find Peter in. And we also find that, I find this very compelling, Peter and Jesus are within an eyesight. Now how close is that? How big is this courtyard? I don't know. I think it's much smaller than this room, maybe. Um, But I don't know that. But what we do know is that Peter and Jesus are within eyesight, recognizable even in the dark. So this is the setting in which we are in. And we read the story, and we read just as Jesus predicted that Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. This just after Peter had said that he would even go to the grave with Jesus. So now, again, I've got to ask why. Why does Peter deny Jesus? The text doesn't tell us, but I think there's maybe some things we can speculate about at least. Why does Peter deny Jesus? I think the common understanding and the common response is that he was afraid. That this is an act of cowardice on behalf of Peter. That, that, that he shirks back and that he's afraid and that's why he denies Jesus. And I think maybe there's something to that. I, I could buy into that. You got to remember this is, a, this is the same crowd that, Jesus, that had just arrested Jesus. They're armed, they're upset, they're angry, maybe they're a little bit drunk. This is a dangerous place. Maybe Peter gets afraid. I think maybe there's also at least some possibility that this isn't an act of cowardice on, on Peter's behalf, but maybe an act of bravery. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, J- Peter had just vowed that he would go to the grave with Jesus And this is the same crowd that he had just valiantly took on by himself with a sword. So he's already proven that he's not afraid of this crowd. He's already proven that he will die for Jesus. And I wonder if Peter is denying Jesus simply so that he can stay around. I wonder if when you read the text, the disciples ask Jesus... uh, in verse 49, Lord, should we strike with our swords? I wonder if Peter simply wondered if he got the timing wrong. And now he's in the courtyard awaiting Jesus' signal to strike. And he's denying Jesus so that he can stay there and strike and save the day. I don't know. I think maybe that's a possibility. Regardless, whatever Peter's intentions are, what we find is that the rooster crows, Jesus looks, and the, 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 the text there implies that he's looking intently at Peter, an intent stare. And at that point, Peter goes away and he weeps bitterly. Maybe he's weeping out of shame, shame of his 
his, his cowardice, his failure. Maybe he's weeping because he's starting to realize that maybe, maybe Peter is just beginning to realize that he'd got it wrong all along. Maybe it's starting to dawn on him what Jesus is about to do, and he'd gotten it wrong the entire time. I don't know. But what we know is at the end of this story here, Peter's strength fails, and he too abandons Jesus. And I wonder if any of us have found ourselves in that place where we have tried and we have tried and we have tried and we've failed. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I've tried to be a disciple. I've tried to do what Jesus, I'm reading this book and I'm reading what Jesus says to do and I just, I just failed. I'm just a failure. And maybe you haven't denied Jesus. You certainly wouldn't deny that Jesus is who he is, but maybe you've lost belief in yourself and what Jesus has called you to. Maybe there's a failure in your life that leaves you weeping bitterly because you just can't seem to do what Jesus calls you to do. What I love about this is that this isn't the last time that we see Peter in, uh, in Luke's gospel. If you move ahead to Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection that we'll get to in a couple of weeks, the women, uh, after finding the empty tomb, they run back to the disciples and they report what they had found at the empty tomb. And all the other disciples that said uh, it seemed like nonsense to them, but Peter, he gets up and he runs to the tomb. And then you see again later in the story, after these two men come back from the road to Emmaus, the text says this in Luke. It says that the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon, has appeared to Peter. And I love that. I love that phrase, that the Lord appeared to Peter, because here's what it tells me about Jesus. And it tells me that Peter or Jesus didn't give up on Peter. That even though Peter had failed, Jesus didn't, even though Peter had given up on himself, Jesus had not given up on him. I like the way John's gospel unpacks this even more. I'm going to do something that will drive some of you seminary students nuts, and I'm going to use John's gospel to interpret Luke's gospel, and it's going to drive you nuts, but don't worry, in a few years after seminary, you'll realize it's okay. And the rest of you are like, what's wrong with that? Exactly. Because John does this really fascinating thing at the end of his gospel. And many of you guys are familiar with the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's this story of uh, Jesus and his disciples after the resurrection and just before Jesus ascends back into heaven. And in this story, Jesus finds his disciples in the very same place that he found them in the very beginning, three years before this, in a boat fishing. As if the disciples had given up on this calling to be a disciple because they had failed so miserably, and they're just going back to what they know. They're going back to this thing that's comfortable for them. They're going to go fish. And Jesus finds them in this place, and uh, there's this really interesting thing where Peter gets dressed and then goes swimming, which is kind of interesting, what's happening there. But then Jesus finds him, or Peter finds himself at the feet of Jesus, and, and after a, a short dialogue, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, tend my lambs. A third time, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And this time, Peter's offended. He's hurt. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, Peter, feed my lambs. There's this really interesting thing that I know some commentators and, and scholars that are much brighter than me downplay the Greek interaction that's going on here. I think there might be something to it because what's happening here, if you, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm going to pretend to be really smart here for a second, but I'm not a Greek scholar. But what's happening here, there's some interesting interplay in the, in the ori- original Greek language here. There's a couple of different words that in the Greek language for love. One of those words is agape. Agape is uh, it's a, it's a love that's kind of like Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love God with everything that you have, all of your, your muchness, as we've learned here at Crossroads. There's this other kind of love called phileo. Phileo is a brotherly love. It's a, in some sense, it's a lesser kind of love. When Jesus first asked Peter, do you love me? He uses this word agape. Peter, do you agape me? Peter responds, Jesus, I, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I tried to love you with everything that I have, but... All I have is phileo, Jesus. You've seen how I failed. You saw what I, what I couldn't do. I tried to love you like that, but I phileo love you. Jesus asks again, but Peter, that's not what I asked. I didn't ask if you phileo love me. I asked, Did you, do you agape me? Do you agape love me? Do you love me with everything that you have? Peter's response, Jesus, I phileo you. Phileo love you. That's what I have. That's all that I have. I can't love you like you expected me to love you. I can just love you with all that I have. And it's, it's, it's broken. It's weak. It's, it's, fal- it's, it's faltering. The third time, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? Jesus changes it that third time. But do you, do you even love me like that? Because because, and here's what I think Jesus might be doing, is he might be setting Peter up to show him the power and the depth of his love for Peter. He might be testing Peter. Peter, do you, but do you even phileo me? Because I saw all the failure. Do you even love me like that? Because you just denied me three times. Do you even love me like that? And it's at this point that Peter is hurt. And why is he hurt? Maybe he's hurt because he... He does love Jesus with that, but that's all that he has. And that's why he says, Jesus, you know, I, you know all things. You know I at least love you like this. Don't question that. I at least, at least save me that. And Jesus' response, Peter, feed my sheep. And Jesus wraps it all up in Luke, in Luke chapter 21, verse 19. And he says this, he says, Peter, follow me. Peter, follow me. And if you know 
the role of a rabbi and a disciple in that day. When a rabbi would say to a disciple, follow me, what that rabbi is saying to that disciple is, I believe in you. I believe in you so much that I believe that you have what it takes to become just like me. Peter, come follow me. As if to say, Peter, that's enough. Your broken, failing, faltering love, all of your failures, all of your inconsistencies, all of your insecurities, that's enough for me. Because what I did on the cross is greater than all of that. Because my love is greater than any of your failures, any of your falterings, any of your insecurities, all of your shortcomings. My love, my agape is greater than that. And Peter, if you can believe in that, if you can believe in my love, then Peter, come follow me. Because I still have a plan for you. I still have a calling for you. And you're going to fail. And you're going to fall short. And you're not going to measure up. But Peter, I believe in you. Maybe this morning you find yourself, maybe not where Judas was. Maybe not denying Jesus. Maybe you believe in Jesus. Maybe you've just forgotten that he believes in you. Maybe you've failed so massively in your life that you thought there's no way that Jesus can use me. And maybe you just need to hear that word this morning, follow me. As we look at the cross and we, in a couple of weeks, remember the resurrection, hear that, follow me. We've got communion uh, tables set this morning and why don't we have Jesse and the team come back up. We've got the communion table set this morning. And the communion table is, is open for anybody that believes in Jesus, for anybody that professes Jesus to be the Savior. It's open for anybody. But, but maybe today it's specifically for those of you that need to hear this word. Maybe it's open for you specifically that need to hear Jesus saying, follow me. I've seen your failures. I've seen all your shortcomings. I saw it in the beginning when I first called you. I find it so compelling that Jesus finds Peter in the same spot that he found him in the very beginning three years before that. And he ends with the same word that he gave him three years ago. Simply come follow me. And maybe this morning that's just what you need to hear. It's just simply in the midst of all your failures and your shortcomings to just simply hear Jesus say, come follow me. I still believe in you. I've still called you. And I will do it in your life. Let's pray. God, thanks for calling us. Thank you for seeing us in our brokenness, seeing us in all of our failures. And thank you for being greater than all of that. And we believe this morning that your cross and your sacrifice and your resurrection is enough. It's sufficient for me. And I pray even this morning that you would meet people in this place. Maybe those, especially those that are they're in their hearts, they're weeping bitterly. And they're just feeling this, uh, this burden of failure in their lives. I pray that you would meet people right where they are this morning. I pray that we would hear that call this morning. Come, follow me.